Hey there, welcome to HowlCast, brought to you by Howl for Wildlife. Howl for Wildlife is committed to bringing the hunting, angling, wildlife management, and conservation communities together. Howl believes that by bringing us all together, across species and across state lines, we can collectively support and prevail when attacks on proven conservation systems threaten your rights to hunt or your rights to participate in our natural world. If you believe hunting and angling are key contributors to conservation and the overall success of wildlife in our natural world, please go to howl.org to join us and take action. On the podcast today, we feature a conversation with Doug Bowes, Ryan Garrett, Charles Whitwan, and myself. Doug is a Washington State hunter, prolific author and bear hunter, and an active member of the American Bear Foundation. Ryan is a hunter, farmer, and artisan. You can find him on Instagram at Hunter Farmer Artisan. And he's also active with the Hunting and Conservation Coalition in Washington State, where they are fighting tooth and nail to overcome a commission which is clearly infected with bias and doing everything it can to tear apart longstanding hunting and conservation practices in Washington State. Charles is a hunting guide, AKA Shadow Trekker Adventures, and the founder of Howl for Wildlife. And I'm Mike Costello, an adult onset hunter in California, where I host the podcast, Hunting Ain't Easy, because I'm in California, where hunting ain't easy. The conversation today focuses on the issues at play in Washington State right now. The threats to Washington State hunting and wildlife management don't stop at the Oregon or Idaho borders. Not in the least. No matter where you hunt or fish, or what your favorite species to chase is, the tactics and threats of the anti-hunting industry will impact you sooner or later. So please listen in and get active with Howl. So um, I invited Mike. I should have anyways, but we kind of scheduled this yesterday afternoon with Doug and, and Ryan. I wanted to discuss the uh, recent commission meeting, um, mainly because we howl we're out of this one just due to i'm being extremely busy this time of year which is really weird for Howl because i wasn't planning on that but there's just a lot of stuff going on and we're also kind of doing a software upgrade on our uh we're going to be using a different different software for for our advocacy advocacy piece um which is which is going to be really awesome it's going to be even better but anyway so I don't know what's going on. So yesterday I tuned in for maybe the last hour, maybe it was an hour and a half. I listened to Anise Anude's uh, presentation where he kept getting interrupted. And then I listened to the commissioners afterwards and uh, a few things stuck out to me, but I wanted to have you guys on here because uh, Doug, I think you missed Thursdays, but you were there on Friday and, and yeah. Ryan, you've been there through everything. And then Ryan and I were talking last night for quite a while. I sent Ryan um, a bunch of info from Cats Aren't Trophies. And Mike was in the Cats Aren't Trophies meeting. And then he got sent, you know, the the video afterwards, the recording. And then also our coalition group in Colorado sent out an, an overview of what was going on. So I sent Ryan sort of those three main points that Cats Aren't Trophies made. That's that, you know, trophy hunting is inhumane. Uh, the loss of um, cat hunting wouldn't um have any conse negative consequences to funding to cpw and that cats are inedible that was like their three main talking points according to to what i got and then i just listened to ryan speak this morning and he hit on 
all these points, you know, and it's like, Um, you hit on these points and you hit on how, you know, I think it was Lorna Smith. She put a tremendous amount of weight behind, look who, you know, submitted this petition, HUSIS and, and <laughs> Center for Biological Diversity and, you know, the anti-hunting industry submitted it. Anti-hunting industry, which, you know, in Washington, they've said, you know, uh, Washington Wildlife First, they're like, we're not against hunting. We're just... You know, we just want better science, that kind of crap. Mike and I, and you guys are well, Mike and I have been there for Houston in California. We know exactly, you know, what their tolerance is for bear hunting. And it's zero. It doesn't matter if there's 100,000 bears. And Ryan brought that up today, you know. so And, and I brought that up yesterday during public comment, too, by oh, you, the way. Okay. okay. Yeah, almost yeah, almost verbatim. <laughs> yeah. You want to, okay. Yeah. We could, I, I, I'm ready to just go. Yeah. <laughs> so Ryan, what, what, it, Ryan and Doug, what, what is the petition that's newly in front of the Washington uh, commission and why is it a problem? Okay. So um, it is a petition that comes primarily from those, those actors that we all hate hearing the names of that would be Washington wildlife first, the center for biological diversity, uh, the humane society of the United States and, you know, others. Mm -hmm. But those are the the key actors and they make the assertion over and over again that bear and cougar hunting is set at on un unsustainable levels based on the changes that we made from 2019 to the 2020 season. And they would like that to be reverted to the prior um, the prior setup. And I have to back up a little bit because it's really important to know that my wife, Jillian Garrett, has done pretty extensive research on that petition. I've I've helped with some of the statistical analysis on it, and I'd love to get into some of that later because it's really important and it and it applies to Colorado. But she wrote an article that got published in the Northwest Sportsman called The Danger of Disinformation, um, why the cougar and bear petition should be rejected if your listeners need to have a primer on understanding that they need to go out and read that because it really encapsulates what these people are asking for why it's not a good thing and why their argument isn't all that well founded um but the my biggest concern about the petition isn't opening rulemaking on cougar and bear in a lot of ways i would actually be okay if the commission had denied the petition and advised to open rulemaking on the subject, because there are fundamental changes we could make to those seasons that would be okay. Mm -hmm. However, what concerns me, what concerns me really deeply, especially given the slant of the commission right now, is that they the the petition not only wants to revert to 2019 and i will say that is of course with the exception of giving us our spring bear season back because <laughs> we had that back then um they also want to add a sunset clause to mm. the cougar and bear seasons meaning they would need to reauthorize cougar and bear seasons on a fairly frequent basis which is something we don't do now even though we review those seasons based on population data. So the argument from anti-hunting groups is that um, we we don't even look at those. We just kind of auto-approve the seasons. That's not mm -hmm. true. That's a lie. 
um, we would open it up if we detected a problem that we needed to address. Right. What it does to put that rulemaking on there outside of um, basically placing an additional burden on staff to provide more feedback where they could be doing, you know, working on conservation issues, which would be fantastic. Um, they're having to justify the reauthorization of the season each time, but more importantly, that lowers the threshold for canceling those seasons entirely by a single vote. Yeah, because that's how we lost spring bear is we didn't vote to restart it. Well, aren't they we canceled by default unless they're re reinitiated? Like, Correct. Like the the default setting, the no, the null value is there is no season. Like if there is no Correct. decisions, there's no season. So yes. Yeah. So it lowers the threshold for how many votes they need to right. enact their agenda, and that's a real problem. It's basically a cancellation. We're going to cancel this three years out. And you can come mm -hmm. back and revalidate it. It Correct. is a cancellation. Yep. And there, there's a couple other things too. So not only did they want to revert it back to 2019, but they also wanted to take away one bear tag. So they wanted to drop right. it down to a one bag limit for bear. Apparently so what this, What was the change in 19? Was it was that when you went to two bears anywhere in the state as opposed to one bear, like the the, the zoning of it? Yes. Yeah, so we've we've had a two bag bear limit. Um, but it was like you could get one on the west side, mm -hmm. one on the east side. So that mm -hmm. would be two. Or you could get two on the west side, um, none on the east side. But you couldn't get two on the east side. Got it. And then they switched it just for – I don't know why, but they just switched it to make it more sensible, I believe, to two-bag limit statewide. And so well, Probably just because bears are abundant everywhere in Washington. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even in eastern Washington, they're, yeah. they're, they're all over the place. Yeah, um, yeah. I can attest to that. So they wanted in this petition, they wanted to drop it down to a single bag limit. And another point that I would like to make, too, is that the department and their staff has already been researching bear and cougar um, issues. So they've been working on population density and all this other stuff in regards to the game management plan and all this other stuff. They've been working hard on many of the issues that were going to be brought up in this petition anyway. So it's almost causing them to redo their work. Mm -hmm. So they, they put it this way. They're, they're three quarters of the way done of a project that they've been working on for forever. Mm -hmm. But now they get pulled off of that project, which was in line with the information that's being requested in this petition. So now they have to revert and go back and redo all this other stuff. So it puts a, a big burden on the department staff mm -hmm. and costs taxpayers more money because now they're basically wasting more time and money doing something that they've already done. Um, so, yeah, that's that's another thing. Did any of the amendments or because they were discussing just that yesterday, that's what I tuned into was, you know, Barbara Baker said it. She's like, the department's already said they're going to release this information. They're almost done. They're going to be done by April with. I don't know, the cougar one and done by May with the bear one or vice versa, one of those. So does this put an extra burden on them? And then they went back and forth with some variants of what it means to pass, to accept this petition. It absolutely does. And that's because of the, the legal structure of adopting the petition. So yes, uh, we were supposed to basically get more completed sci science in April. 
And it was very clear in the back and forth of that and their brief consultation with uh, Joe Pinesco, their, uh, the WDFW attorney, that adopting the petition starts kind of like a 60-day clock that they need to go through that rulemaking process. So now what they've done is for the next two months, they've diverted our staff from whatever they were going to do on the science to, to complete that to instead work on rulemaking. When so you, when you, they adopted it or by accepting it? Sorry, by so, accepting so the they petition received, to they do received it and they basically said, yeah, we're going to put this we're into the, open into up the process to assess it, analyze it, make decisions in California that in California, it is a year process from the time of acceptance. Is it is is Washington more efficient than that, where it actually like you mentioned, the 60 day time frame that's actually, you know, that's for them uh, to get started and to have have a process as we've seen rulemaking can really drag out here. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, there's example after example of that dragging on. But what's really important to the understanding is that during that discussion, Barbara really let one thing drop and she framed it. Um, I wish I had the exact quote in my mind, but it was very close to this, that it was essentially a decision between waiting for the science to be complete and whether or not they could affect the 2024 season when it comes to adopting or you know, requesting this, or sorry, accepting this petition to start rulemaking, which is such an arduous thing to work through verbally. Right. That's a problem because that basically says that they're much more interested in the agenda-driven politics and enacting that in agenda quickly than mm -hmm. seeing what our scientists have to say with their completed work. Right. They, they want to revisit right. Cougar in March, and they want to revisit Bear in late May. And so that yeah. kind of tells you how quick they want things to move. And why is that? Because they you want know? to vote on the, then they'll vote on the 2024 season. So right now right. there, there is legitimate concern that you might not bear hunt in 2024. Yes. Have that concern at all, at all, at all, completely. Mm -hmm. And Reagan said as much in his discussion on the uh, carnivore biology panel when we were talking about the tooth submission data. Um, he believes that not having adequate tooth submission data cripples the science, which I actually do agree with him on that. But then he took it one step further. And then he said, and if we uh, basically without that, we can't justify the take. We can't That's do bullshit. the hunt. That's that's like, yeah, it cripples the science, but it does nothing to indicate that bears are at all. Well, and what like, else cripples like the science? Is... Or, or, in, or not pop, not, not, you know, high and robust in population health. Like, like those two statements just don't bridge. Right. But the other thing that cripples the science is quitting collecting data. That's right. one of the reasons we know about bears the way we do is because of hunter data. And so yeah. to basically say, oh, we don't have complete reporting. Let's just shut off all reporting seems um, counterintuitive to me. And the funding that comes from those tags being sold, mm -hmm. removing that doesn't help with the science either. Yeah. And something else that I actually emailed the commission about is that, you know, the 25% submission rate for tooth uh, data 
isn't necessarily completely the fault of the hunters. So, for example, my cougar that I got in March, the warden came by. I watched him pull the tooth out, put it in the envelope, and he often mailed it. When I went to check the lab for the results of the age, it said envelope received, no tooth in envelope. So somewhere between his chain of custody and where it ended up with the lab, that tooth was gone. No fault of my own, probably no fault of his. The point is, is that things get lost mm-hmm. or maybe hunters break the teeth, you know, especially like new hunters, they might not know how to pull out that that tooth. And it's a real small, you know, behind the main canine, it's a real small tooth mm-hmm. and they're easy to snap. And so you've only got four chances provided it has all four of those teeth. Um, so, you know, there's other issues other than the hunter didn't turn it in, I think. Um, yeah, so n- that, not that necessarily huge. That was an issue I was going to bring up because in the in the carnivore panel, um, I was listening to that. When when was that? Two weeks ago or something? Yeah, it was two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. Yeah, it was the and, uh, it, it sounded like the hunter harvest reporting was extremely low, um, which that is an issue that needs to be higher. That uh, that can be improved though without canceling a hunt. Like that is a. That's yeah, a tactical absolutely. administrative policy issue that can be changed. Yeah. But on our, I'm just saying on our end, I wonder, Mike, what our, our percentages of reporting in California is. I don't know. For bears? Well, with bear, it's a little different because it's mandatory. You need to bring yeah, it you, to yeah. an office. You don't do it yourself. You bring it into CDFW, you make an appointment. They handle it from there. Right. No, just it's, overall, overall hunter harvest, like reporting online and all that. That that was an issue as well in in Washington. The numbers were pretty low, but I wonder what ours are. Maybe it's low here also, and they charge well, twenty bucks the, if you don't report. Yeah, this the state the state assumes for every hundred deer harvest reported, there's it's like a ten percent. They assume like ten or fifteen percent unreported. Like when they say that if that's if it? that. That's their assumption. the The assumption is that there's a ten to fifteen percent unreported harvest. Okay. Um. We, but you know, statistically, they just use that as to to adjust their baseline. It's the same every year. It's hard to know if it's the, that's the case. Yeah. But, what the reporting um, bias is, I would. I seems that's right. kind of reasonable. Close. Yeah. Yeah. Seems, yeah. Seems I think right. in Washington, it was like lower. Fifty three percent was yeah. the number for reporting on is there a penalty there. and that's for the online reporting. reporting piece. It was like twenty five percent for the actual truth submission. And I agree with there's, you, Doug. There's problems with that system. Yeah. There's a ten dollar association fee that if you if you don't submit, you get charged ten extra bucks the following year. Um but I you know honestly I don't know why Washington doesn't have it like Alaska or California to where you got to bring in your bear. Maybe right. it's just because of volume. You know, I mean, we kill maybe 2000 bears a year. They don't have the, the ability to take that. I don't know. I don't necessarily believe that, but. That's I, the kind I'm of thing that it. the hunting community could get behind. Yeah. There's probably a time where the hunting community is like, ah, screw that. Well, I think, you know, but, uh, but now, now it's like, we, we like, we like the fact that there's data. We, you know, I think across the board, hunters are leading leading the charge for better for better data to guide decisions um that's something the hunting community could get behind and certainly well and and a a subtle a subtle issue here too that isn't being talked about but is felt through the hunting community is the lack of trust of that information to Mm -hmm. be used against us Mm -hmm. so you know hunters are like why would i submit a tooth 
or, you know, tell them this or that when all they're going to do is turn it around and use it against us to, you know, take away our hunting stuff. And but, I don't necessarily the agree with that. But the department has been the ally in the, in these meetings, hasn't it? In the last couple the of years. Part, yes. Generally, yeah. yeah. I think that's, I think that's new. Same thing in California. Oh, the department, of this department, of that. It's like, but people don't remember that the hard and fast, like restrictions on hunting in California haven't originated at the department. They haven't come from the commission. Now you guys have it where it's coming from the commission because it's almost all been from the legislative body. Um, and we we're starting to realize that actually the department is, the department wants people hunting. Like they, they want people hunting. Uh, they want, animals managed um they want funds from that and the commission does too your commission's very different right now but um whether we like how they do it and we hate their governmental inefficiency and bureaucracy at least in california the department is is probably one of our strongest allies doug i is an american bear foundation doing something about um the uh the hunter hard like providing more envelopes or something like that so it's more accessible to yeah and the washington coalition uh is also looking into that as well but yeah so i've emailed the department of fish and wildlife and the game commission and said hey look i think that's a part of the problem is when you buy a bear tag you're not issued a bear tooth envelope you have to either go pick one up somewhere or ask for one and then they send it to you um in fact, the warden that came to get my cougar tooth, he didn't even have any on him. He had to drive like 40 miles, go pick one up, and then come back and grab that tooth. Um, so, I mean, it's it's a, it's a kind of an inconvenience. That doesn't make it okay, but to make it more um, – to have a more accuracy, why not offer those envelopes at the time of purchase at a retail outlet or have them available when you can pick up the rules and regulations like – yeah, I know it might be a little bit costly here or there just for an envelope, you know, if you have 4,000 envelopes, but I think it would help. Um, it's a part definitely. of it. Definitely. And that is something that we're looking into for sure. We're yeah, trying to get okay. that going. Okay. Well, back back to the to the commission. Um, mm -hmm. Man, I so <laughs> I've never seen maybe, – maybe there are commissions out there. I just haven't been involved in one yet that I can recall. When Anise Anud, that's how you say his last name, right? Ayud. Ayud. I thought. Ayud. Anise. We'll say Anise. Everybody knows who that is. Um, when he was giving his presentation, and again, I was there for maybe the last half of it. I'm not sure how long. He kept getting interrupted. <laughs> and it seemed, it uh, you know, it seemed rude. It just did. Like he, he's giving out the data and the science and then you have Commissioner Smith and Roland, maybe even Reagan, just interrupting him constantly to try and make a point. And you could tell there was visibly some friction there, you know, between Anise and, and the commission. It was strange to watch because let the guy give the presentation. They've been working on this for how long? Let him give the presentation. You can ask questions later. It's just that that was that struck me as odd. I've never seen anything like that. And then and then afterward, um, I almost I sort of had hope in the beginning, <laughs> and then I saw the, the basically commissioners Smith and Roland 
doing their darndest to convince everybody to vote with them. And they went outside of the department staff, outside of their own scientists and biologists, and brought up, what was the guy's name? I heard it a bunch of times, and supposedly this guy is the the most well-renowned hat scientist possibly in the world, I think, is what Lauren Smith said. <laughs> and he said this about lions. So our department is saying this, but this guy said this. And I'm like, well, who's this guy? And I don't know who he is. Do any of you know who he is and why this third-party science, we'll call it, is 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 so important and has so much weight on a commission meeting in Washington. Does anybody know who he is? If you don't, that's fine. I just, I don't know who he is. I didn't. I don't know who he is. I don't know who he is, but the reason that he held so much weight is because it went along with their narrative. Well, and the reason it's, the reason it seemed rude when <clears throat> commissioner Roland kept interrupting. Anus. Yeah. The department staff is because it was rude. Um, and I actually emailed her about that. She needs to she needs to kind of just watch her tone and demeanor when she talks to people that way. That's not how you talk to people. And I should say professional. I should say unprofessional. Like rude is whatever. It, it was unprofessional. It was it was distracting. Yeah. It seemed like to me. Um, but then I was kind of I haven't seen a parallel on either side where somebody just brings up hey, we're making our decision because this guy, whatever his name is, said this, and he's not even here in this room. He's not on staff, and the, and you're making your decision based on what this guy said, who nobody even – who is this guy? I don't know who he is. Anise admitted he knew who the, who the guy was. Um, and then they – it just doesn't seem like that's a good procedure to me. I, I'm not sure, but um, – and then they brought up the weight of who submitted the petition. And it was the Humane Society. It was the Center for Biological Diversity. Who else? Washington Wildlife First, of course. Whatever. And because so many people support them and they represent such a large percentage of the population, um, it would just be preposterous to not accept this petition. So not only that, because um, that, that's what was said, right? When actually it's worse than that. Okay. So if you go back to that clip and you listen to the way Melanie Rowland phrased that, mm. she very much low key threatened the commission with legal action from those groups. If it wasn't adopted, which Doing that and advocating for those special interest groups in a closed door meeting does have some uh, implication one implications when it comes to open access laws in Washington state, which there's been violations on both Rowland's part and Lorna's. She's had to apologize for it publicly, and it gets way worse than that. Um, I mean... I, I did hear I did hear that I didn't catch that that's what I wasn't sure what she meant it was in real time I'm like oh what does that mean um but so that's what you think she meant by that is absolutely that was my interpretation of it then this um, media and whoever else is going to sue us and we're going to get caught up in that I, that's what she was saying okay yeah but it was interesting that 
you know, those groups seem to carry weight, but any of the hunting groups who have offered their upset, who also represent a large amount of Washingtonians, um, don't seem to count. Our, our voice doesn't matter, but their voice does. And the majority of actual conservation dollars. Yeah. When there's a lot of anti-hunters speaking, you know, and all these people that support the HSUS show up and speak, are, is it truly individuals or do they always have, like, I'm with the such and such, you know, animal shelter. I'm with the such and such, you know, group. Because in California, when we got down to the decision day for the anti-bear hunting petition the HSUS put in, we had between online and, and in person, like 115 people speak that were pro bear hunting, pro hunting. And they had like 30 or something. They, they had a bunch, but it's like 30 or 40, but almost every one of their speakers was with some agency, with some coalition. There were some hired head, you know, of a, there's some executive director of, of a local regional state national nonprofit that's in the animal industry. That that is almost always so the, like the public speaker and i think that i think that needs to be called out a lot because they're paid to be there like they don't re we don't know who they represent they represent the animal the anti-hunting industry they represent an industry that collects money off of the idea of eliminating hunting not individuals not steve and dave and susie and josephine from downtown seattle making the drive because they're so committed to this issue there's yeah. a and steve dave's and susie's a few but yeah i know exactly what you're saying and i've been in plenty of washington commission meetings um yeah they're usually i'm this person and i represent this organization that that's the majority of that side where they're coming from not all of them um but generally that's how they greet the commission is with that so yeah that's i would say that that's true wouldn't, wouldn't you guys agree very much Definitely. so um, yeah i think that actually takes uh, it to a good point though talking about the the fact that the anti-hunting groups are extremely organized and that they are running a national campaign and if you look at things um and and if you want a synopsis of what i'm going to tell you that's a little bit better uh my wife's going to have an article coming out in sports of field called the beavers that ate massachusetts where um we talk uh she talks about the historical um the the historical tactics of these groups really got rolling in like 1995 with their trapping ban in um in Massachusetts basically the the tactics they use today are what they learned were mm -hmm. effective back then and mm -hmm. it comes down to some very simple things uh disinformation basically lies yeah you show people <laughs> like they ran a tv campaign back then of uh, children and dogs getting caught in traps, which wasn't happening. They ran a TV campaign that showed traps that were actually already illegal. Um, mm -hmm. They ran uh, ads that basically showed a lot of stuff. They even, they even, and this is funny for, for an organization that says they are so science-based. When the state of Massachusetts biologists came out and said, hey, um, we actually use these padded foothold traps for our own research purposes. And if you make them illegal, that's actually going to diminish our scientific ability to to manage these animals. 
they sued the the Department of Massachusetts biologists because they they made the argument that bringing that fact up was political lobbying, which they <laughs> barred from in in Massachusetts. So it's really Sorry. rich to hear a group like the Humane Society of the United States say they they value science when they've actually run political gag order campaigns to yeah. shut down scientists. They have 10 attorneys for every scientist. If that, yes, probably 50 attorneys for every scientist. Um, and about- even their sciences bunk. Yeah. Well, and, and something to keep an eye on too is one of the, one of the talking points for, I think it was Roland yesterday about, Oh, there's 50 scientists that signed on to this. How, how could they even do that? How amazing is that? Well, when are they going to use that again? And are those scientists politically motivated? I'm willing to bet that they are. But I'm also willing to bet that the Department of Fish and Wildlife biologists and scientists, dozens of them that put on that carnivore uh, uh, class to the commission was not necessarily politically motivated in any way, shape, or form. So I would argue that their data is neutral as far as politics go and Mm -hmm. is probably therefore more accurate as compared to the 50 people who signed on. So, I mean, is the next petition for to end trapping, is that going to have these same 50 people sign on and be like, Oh, these guys signed on again. It it has to be valid. You know what I mean? So that, I think that's going to be another talking point that they're going to bring up in the next petition they submit. Yeah, no, of course it is. It, it really is for these groups. Um, they make a whole bunch of money. I don't know how much money they give the conservation. I'd be willing to bet it's not a whole bunch. None. Yeah, none. They don't. They don't invest in habitat. They don't. They don't do jack squat for conservation. Here's like, what's funny about her bringing up the CBD just currently, and and I will give some props to the Humane Society on this issue. On this issue, we have this Catalina Island thing going on where. This quote-unquote conservancy wants to exterminate all the deer down to zero, which is I, I still I still do not get the motivation. But anyway, they've made claims that uh, Humane Society is is backing us, and they even said California Deer Association and Mule Deer Association is backing us. Those groups, those three that I've come out with, have publicly said, "No, we don't, and we never had any. We never supported you. We never said that." Humane Society actually wrote a letter addressing this. However. The CBD, Center for Biological Diversity, is one of the groups that is supporting this. And I've, I have been supporting the conservancy and the eradication of deer, which, by the way, is bringing in helicopters with sharpshooters, killing every deer on the island. And this is, this is written down. I'm not making this up. And leaving the deer to rot. No harvest, no nothing. Leaving the deer to rot. If there is a dead deer in town, like where people live, they will clean that up. All the other deer? No, I think that that needs to be universal. So, so let, yeah. So, if you're gonna slaughter them, leave them. You slaughter them, leave them. <laughs> yeah. Let let people deal with it. Let's be intellectually consistent. <laughs> biological diversity is in support of this, and I'm like, God, why would they be in support of this? And I, and I understand it to one level because they're about protecting habitat. And the argument that the conservancy is making is that the mule deer are destroying habitat. Well, that's been that's it has not been proven, and and in fact, it's been unproven. And might I add, they have a herd of free-roaming buffalo on the island, 150 of them, free-roaming. 
that they will not get rid of because it's a tourist attraction. Let me ask. They make money off of them. Who is destroying? If anyone's going to destroy habitat, who's destroying habitat? A hundred, a herd of one hundred and fifty buffalo, or let's just deer. say two thousand mule deer, which there isn't two thousand mule deer there. Which one do you think is going to destroy habitat? Anyway, mm -hmm. Center for Biological Diversity. God, why would they support this? How could they be behind this? This is crazy. Oh, they're on the conservancy's payroll. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're they're representing them legally. Oh, when the city of Avalon, which the entire res the, like 85 percent of the residents of Catalina Island, the town of Avalon, have come out publicly against this. And to to try and, you know, put a roadblock up, the city of Avalon said no deer can be killed within town limits. They could make that. So what they were doing was when these guys with the helicopters come in or, you know, whatever their methods were going to be, you're not allowed to kill any deer in town. Um. Well, CBD sends the town of Avalon a really threatening letter saying, if you guys pass this, we're going to sue you, blah, 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 whatever else. So now I, my point there is I understand the motivations. It's about money. It's not about what's right or wrong. It's not about what protecting wildlife or habitat or whatever. They won't pull from this because they're on the conservancy's payroll. They're the anti-right, anti, they're the, they're the human right, animal rights mafia, the anti-hunting mafia. They're, they collude. They 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 wield massive amounts of money and power. Um, their money comes from uh, grants and foundations, and you know from from people that are into controlling people and whatnot. It's just the idea that it's all grassroots and and organically sprung from the streets of Seattle is is not the case. Um, the only thing that comes from the non-hunting public is they, they get swayed with lies and misinformation to support these things on a whim. And that, and that's where, and that's where like, so what's next in Washington, this, David, David, they've accepted the petition. It now has to go through the whole legal process. There's an indication that some of the commissioners would like to see it fast track to possibly affect 2024. Like what, what needs to happen in and and how many commission meetings are there where there needs to be public pressure engagement education etc to to affect a, you know a neutral or better outcome on this well i'm looking up the committee meetings as we speak do they have the 2024 meetings posted yet yeah they have it on the calendar um but you know, the, I guess the first one is in January. I think that's January 1st. No, that's, excuse me, that's a holiday. Uh, yeah, the next meetings are in uh, January 25th, 26th, and 27th. Um, you know, Mike, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't think there's any sort of legal grounds currently just to, you know, take them to court over, over accepting the petition. Right. And I didn't know I was going to be doing a podcast this morning. Otherwise, I would have recorded it, and I tried to look it up, but I couldn't. So they didn't actually accept, like, the whole petition. They accepted a motion that was put forth by Lorna Smith. So originally, when they were talking about this, I think Lorna and Roland noticed that a lot of people were very hesitant to vote for this thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are pretty shaky. And then as time went on, I don't know if people were emailing her or text messaging them to say, hey, 
do a motion. Let's do a compromise to at least just kind of get it through the door. So she made a motion that said, hey, we're going to vote on. I think it was. Don't quote me on this. Um, uh, creating rulemaking for Baron Cougar seasons. I, I think that was like the motion, but somehow it was attached to this uh, petition. So the last four or five minutes of the recorded meeting will show this and they didn't have it up yet. Um, so I'll be real curious about that. And I don't even know, like, I don't understand the legalities of mm-hmm. if, if you, if you okay a petition, you would think you would have to accept the whole thing or not accept the whole thing, not cherry pick exactly what you want out of it. And that's what they're trying to do with this too, is they're trying to cherry pick what they want out of it. Um, at least to get it through the door. Was it just well, received or it's been in discussion for a while? Because it, it, in California, it can't go to rulemaking. Like it doesn't go to rulemaking until it's been through the six to nine to 12 month process. Oh, no, this has been much faster than that. We're talking a couple months. Okay. Um, and, you know, to, to Doug's point to kind of answer how that works, when they adopt the, t- the petition, what they're basically saying is that the petition has enough merit to uh, undergo the rulemaking process and that that's going to be kind of the starting point from where that rulemaking po- process is going to go. So right now, what we're dealing with, because that was a seven to two vote, is we're dealing with how far is the commission versus the these anti-hunting groups going to go? Frankly, based on the way rulemaking works, just because they open rulemaking on the subject doesn't mean that anything in that petition is what is necessarily adopted. They could basically be like new rule, no seasons. That's that's well within what they could decide to do because we don't have enough evidence, whatever. Um, That's the risk is now we're at a point where where we're finding out between the commission and the the anti-hunting groups where we're going to land. I pretty much knew we were going to lose this vote um soon as it got entered, especially because it mirrored language that Lorna presented at a Sierra Club meeting to them, which seems like a little bit of collaboration. I don't know. Um maybe not, maybe it doesn't count. <laughs> um, but yeah. Sorry. Um, but my concern is because it wasn't a five, four vote. Like I was hoping it would be, um, hunters aren't a part of that conversation. It's not a matter of in between what the commission wants and what hunters want anymore. It's a matter of it's, it's a discussion between, um, the commission and the anti-hunting groups. So we need to be able to consistently engage to get back into that conversation. And more importantly, get staff biologists back into that conversation because they've been essentially removed, excised from the process, um, which is what we watched happen last night to poor Anise, that his opinion doesn't matter compared to the 50 scientists who signed on to this who don't study bears in Washington. I mean, maybe some of them do, but they certainly don't study bears for game management in Washington every day like Anise does. And what about our what about our department staff? Where do they rate? Why do we even have them if we're going to take these secondary? Don't ask that. They'll they'll answer you with. with getting rid of them and it wasn't even his opinion it was it was a a cumulative 40 plus years of data that he had presented and 
Reagan would come and Roland would come and they would say, well, what about this or that? He says, well, that is simply not true. What they are saying in this position, in this petition is not true. These are the facts. And he presented to them the facts via slideshow and whatnot. And, and, you know, they just dismissed it. And it's a valid point. Like why even have biologists if, if you completely ignore what they present to you and you know another odd thing is like okay we knew this petition was coming up and we knew that the bios were going to do a presentation for it and there was a lot of information in there but one of reagan's arguments was wait you just presented me with all this information i can't go over this in, in just an hour i have to i have to go through this entire thing um you know to understand it but then they they went ahead and voted on it anyway so if you if you really want to make an informed decision and take time to go over all that data that Anise presented, why would you vote on it, you know, within an hour of getting that data? Right. I just... have a vote scheduled for the same day then. If that's yeah. that guy, I'll say this publicly, that guy's a complete joke. He says the exact same thing. I could have told you what he was going to say yesterday. He's going to say, yeah. there's just not enough there, or I just don't have enough <laughs> time. And if we can't be 100% sure of right. uh, the bear numbers, if we're not 100% on what the bear population number is, then I just have to err to the side of caution, and we shouldn't have a bear season. That I mean, it's the same crap he says every single time. He's basically laid out the case, like... I wonder if I was a start off, let's have no game seasons whatsoever. And we start off with this commission. Let's start with mule deer and we'll go with whitetail and then bear every single thing that you have. What would we have left if we're, if it was, if it was up to that guy, because he's already made the case. You would have no hunting because there's yeah. never enough data to support it. Like yeah. it's, it's like saying uh, that there's not enough data to prove that the sun comes up in the East. Cause we haven't looked at it every day since the beginning of time. Like, like it, it's uh, it's total it's total gaslighting, um, and it relies on people who otherwise don't pay attention to think, yeah. oh wow, maybe there's not enough science. Like there's there's plenty of science, there's tons of science, and and there's no irreversible decisions. Like so, if there was a a crash in the bear population, which the HSU has said about California, it's the opposite. Um, like, yeah, like you can make adjustments. Th- these people, the bottom line is they are anti hunters. And I just wonder, like, at what point does the non bear hunting and the non big game hunting community in Washington start to care that a, com- a state level commission is this corrupt and this biased? And would they accept that same type of bias and corruption on a medical board? or on a transportation board, or on a power grid board, or any other commission that the state runs? And I think that the answer is no. And that's where I just wonder, like, at what point do the corporate donors to HSUS need to hear from the average person? Like, at what point do does the Sierra Club need to start getting piled on by the average person about this the people that are second and third removed from this commission but are behind them like when does that i just you know part of me says take the gloves off um and make it a public issue make it a not make it an issue that the entire you know public community can understand and see yep it absolutely has become at least in the case of a couple of commissioners Mm-hmm. Um, and for reasons that I hope become very clear very soon, 
Um, I'll just say stay tuned on that. Um, it's become very clear that a couple of commissioners have crossed uh, a line that goes into the realm of the general public who does not care about hunting, caring mm -hmm. about this issue mm -hmm. because they're violating some of the basic tenets of democratic rule. Right. And one of those basic tenets of democratic rule is that you do not use tools of the state to mm -hmm. diminish dissenting voices. That's like League of Women Voters. What, what, what would League of Women Voters think about this? A neutral, maybe left-leaning left a little bit, but a, a, a neutral arbiter of public advocacy and discussion. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't imagine them, them su supporting anything like that. But yeah. that's that's what's been framed and there's a fair amount of um public data that just needs to get honestly splashed across a couple of newspapers which i've put together a, an interesting story in that regard that i'm i'm pitching good. right now good why do you think so i listened this morning a little bit um a little bit of the comments but i listened to the commissioner's responses this morning on saturday um, why do you think Parker voted the way that he did? That's what I'm, I'm trying to understand that. Um, and my other question is, do we have an opportunity here? So I, and I, and I think Limcool kind of hit the, hit it on the head this morning with this one point, <laughs> be, go easy on me guys. I'm not, but where he said, we're mostly upset about who filed the petition. Um, and us siding with that as opposed to what it is we're actually doing. That's basically what he said. And fair enough. Yep. I think that is a problem because I know where these groups want to go, you know, and I do think two or three on the commission are embedded with these groups. I do think that I could be wrong, but I think that, um, is there an opportunity here for us and, you know, why would somebody like Parker change his mind actually and, and vote to accept the petition? Do you have any opinions on that? My personal opinion was, I think he was just following the crowd. Honestly, like watching that commission meeting, talking about the petition, you could see certain people were lenient and Lemkiel really took his sweet time on voting yay or nay. So he was torn for sure um and i i think you know it's it's like it's like there, there's a simpsons scene where they're in court and they're saying who's who's thinking about killing this woman right now and a couple of people raise their hand and more people and they they're nudging and then so pretty soon the entire court is like oh yeah i'm thinking about killing this person right now so there's just like following the crowd i honestly think that parker was just following the crowd and the people who voted yes, and he was just like, well, everyone else is voting yes. I might as well vote yes, too. To me, that that's just kind of the body language that I read, and I could be way off, but that's just me. You think maybe they wanted to avoid a a close vote so they're not getting into a another spring bear thing again? They can't be split, right, because there's nine now, right? Yeah, no, they can't be split at this point. Um, yeah. But I, I, I agree with what Bose said. Um, I think there was a certain degree of badgering 
in there too. And that's a good analogy. Like I've served on juries where the jury has to be unanimous and you have holdouts who just don't understand certain things or don't want to play along. And those people end up getting badgered by the crowd. That's just group dynamics, especially when you do a vote like that on something so poor important after what was that? Like a nine hour long meeting. Yeah. Um, even John Lemkuel, I, I find myself agreeing with him on this. That is not a recipe for good decision making. Um, they honestly should have cut things off at a certain point and redid the vote today. And I still think we would have lost, but I think it would have been a lot closer to that 5-4 vote. They were mentally done. They were done. Done. And I don't blame them. I was too. Like I will yeah, give yeah. I will give the commissioners a lot of grace in that respect because that has got to be exhausting. Um but yeah, I think uh unfortunately um Parker got swayed primarily by um one of the other tactics of the anti-hunting groups, which is to present uh, a mountain of this scientific evidence mm -hmm. and and call it fact. But when you start fact checking those things, they don't add up. And if I may, I really want to talk about one study in particular because it it's constantly being used. It's being used in Colorado as the logic to end uh, the hunt entirely for bobcats and cougars and it's being used it was in contained in this petition and i've listened to woody myers rowland and commissioner smith all um say some element of this study and it's the Peebles study basically the idea is and for a while i actually believed this this theory um until i started looking into the science a little bit um but it's the idea that if you hunt cougars, you're likely going to be harvesting mature males. And and because they're fiercely territorial and they do emigration and immigration within population sinks, that the vacuum that you create from killing a cougar means that you're going to have a higher population of young adult cougars, the ones that tend to move around more. And those are going to be the ones who get in trouble, which sounds like a plausible theory, but absolutely no data seems to support that. The people study made the conclusion of this saying that, hey, you know, when you have punit what they call punitive hunting, which, by the way, there's a little bit of bias um, right. that it creates <laughs> that it creates more livestock conflicts, livestock and human conflicts. And what they how they did that is they studied two counties. They studied Stevens County, my home, by the way and Katadis County. And when you look just across the numbers, the numbers of humans, uh, cats in those areas, and live large livestock, which is the only thing they counted, all kind of look really similar. So you're like, oh, this might be a good study. But then I was like, well, how big are those two counties? Stevens is significantly smaller than Katadis County. So when you factor density. in density, yeah. Human beings were 17% higher in Stevens County. Um, livestock was like 12% higher, which, which is just statistically significant. But more importantly, cougars were like 62% higher. So in a more saturated environment, of course, we're having more hunting success. And of course, we're having more livestock conflict. That's not cause and effect. That's correlation that the study didn't bother to prove. 
to prove that statistically, you'd need to find a county with lower population densities. So you're taking that particular factor out that happens to have higher hunting success and then find that they still have higher incidents of conflict. That would kind of prove that theory out. And to date, no study has managed to do this. In 2022, a multi-state panel of scientists who presented this data to the WDFW, sorry, the Fish and Wildlife Commission, um, confirmed that that study, the people's study, doesn't hold water to support its conclusions. <laughs> and then this Friday, or uh, on the 7th, um, Dr. Kirsten, the the carnivore specialist on bears, said the same thing when it came to, when it same sorry, specialist on cougars, said the same thing, that yeah. it's just a theory. It hasn't been proven. No study has managed to prove it. Could it be true? Sure. Is it? No. In fact, the data seems to suggest that the most likely candidate for a cougar that's getting into conflict trouble is a uh, female with kittens. Mm -hmm. Like, that's that's where the data is taking us. But this commission is completely willing to ignore that body of science for the body of science that this agenda-driven group has presented instead. Yeah. That's yeah. And that's what it comes down to, is, you know, they, they ignored the science from the Department of Fish and Wildlife bios during the spring bear thing, which they admitted to ignoring, basically. Jer Baker admitted and got offended because she got called out on it, basically, during that last petition by uh, oh the spring bear petition yesterday that they canceled. And, you know, that's they continue to ignore data that goes against what their agenda is. And yeah, I mean, this is kind of like an echo chamber, uh, but the pattern is there and it's obvious. Do you guys, do, is there any opportunity here? Let me ask you this. Is there any opportunity here because of they're revisiting lion, but they're also re revisiting bear and sort of starting over? Does this then give us opportunity to revisit spring bear from a different light? Because it's in rulemaking. Because like the rulemaking door has been opened. Yeah. Doesn't hurt to try. Well, well here's the have, funny thing. We're going to have more data this time on bear than we did last time, right? The problem last time was they didn't, it wasn't all completed. Bear data wasn't all completed. Now we're going to have. Well, and, and supposedly it was a recreational hunt and not a management hunt. And so, but what did they do yesterday? They okayed a management hunt for timber damage for private landowners. Glad right? you brought that up. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So there was another petition that they okayed yesterday in a seven to two vote, which, you know, it's not groundbreaking, but it's good. So it allows private timber companies on private land to apply for depredation permits that the bear are causing. There's, they're stripping trees basically. And this generally happens in Western Washington, not so much in Eastern Washington. So it's going to be a Western Washington type of situation and it allows that timber company owner to remove that bear or a bear or allow them to designate that permit to another hunter, friend, family, employee, whoever it may be, provided that they are legal to hunt and everything else. Um, now they have to supply uh, facts that they are suffering damage. So they have to take pictures and give GPS coordinates 
Um, so the, the, the poor sucker warden who's dealing with all the garbage bears over in ocean shores, he's also in charge of, of going out and, and checking these things to allow this guy to get a permit to remove this bear. Um, oh, when you say garbage bears, bears that are getting into garbage cans and dumps. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not bears themselves that are garbage. Clear it up. Um, but the funny thing is, is, is right. So they okay this and there's a management need for it. And that was their whole reasoning to take off spring bears that it was a recreational hunt. There's no management need. Well, there's, there's obviously a management need for it. And, and also they're only talking about like six bears, six, seven bears, I think is what was taken right. the last couple of years from this permit. So it's a very small amount of bears and people were, some on the commission were still freaking out about it. And it's a handful of bears, you know, like six bears. Um, Who so, are the anyway. that voted against it? Uh, I'll give you a guess. Well, I'm surprised it's not three. I'm I'm kind of baffled by this. Uh, Smith and Roland, yeah. Reagan voted for this. Yeah, wow. yeah. I I don't know if he was mixed up or what, but yeah, he voted. For them it. a cake. How, how how do we? I mean, the problem in Washington and, and in Colorado and California is there's this assumption that the general public doesn't like this to be happening they don't like hunting whether that's true or not is it's that gonna be true to varying degrees for them be true to yeah it's gonna be true to varying degrees but when the hsus walks in whether it's into a senator's office or the commission they present this story that it's just it's just a truth like there's just tr there's this assumed truth that the general public doesn't like this how do we and I, I know what my answer is, but like like in the in, while this rulemaking is going on, how do we start to get the general public to demonstrate friction to these proposals that HSUS brings forth as having some kind of patent truth behind them? Because that's that's where this has to have like like the political leaders that are behind these people, the corporations, the the money grabbers, all the industry of anti hunting needs to realize that this is not a profitable, successful path to go on, that they're going to start to lose traction in the general public if they're doing this. It's a matter of public perception. Mm -hmm. Whether we get to continue hunting or not mm -hmm. it is absolutely a matter of public perception. Um, and the way we, we continue hunting is we improve our PR image. I mean, no offense, but we need to think about it when we post a picture of an animal with a hole in it and their uh, tongue lolling out every fall. And there's just that's the only picture you see yeah. of us. Well, it's story. pretty easy. It's pretty easy for the public to think that our hunt is easy because they get confirmation bias that mm -hmm. all the successful hunters, you know, every time you go out there, you go out there with a rifle, you shoot something, you kill something and you take it home. And then they don't see us posting pictures of the meat. So we're just yeah. doing it for fun. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a big problem that we as hunters actually can take the reins up and be like, yeah. hey, let's show pictures of the actual hunt. Let's show pictures of the animal. Let's show um, the culture of hunting. Let's talk about the fact that there are um, military service members who help deal with PTSD mm -hmm. by going out into the woods with a rifle in their hand and having a 
a positive experience in the woods. Two years ago, I took a, a vet out and that's that that was his words sure. is I want to go out somewhere with a rifle in my hand and have it be a good thing. Yeah. And if that doesn't hit you like a freaking freight train, there's something broken in your heart. Yeah. Um, and but that's the sort of thing that the public can relate to. Mm -hmm. And we need to basically start telling that part of the story rather than letting um, the Humane Society tell our story for us. Yep. Because they're the ones filling in the blanks right now. Yep. Problem with what happened in Washington, 100% they got rid of Spring Bear because they set, they were basing it on the public's perception. Now, when we asked for that information, that was never clear to me. It still hasn't been clear. I think I bring this up every podcast. There was polls talked about. Where are these polls? Where are these polls? Right. <laughs> you know, and then, you Conducted know, at Starbucks and, comment, and based it on public comment. Well, I'm pretty sure through how we, we dominated that. But then it got to the point, well, because it came from how this doesn't count. Everyone started questioning how. And I'm like, what? These people don't count <laughs> because I don't get it. Well, I don't get what you're saying, you know? Uh, yeah, no. But what Mike was saying earlier, and I kind of like interrupted, but uh, they based that 100% on what they thought the public perception was, but they could never prove that was the public perception at all. That has driven me crazy still to this day because that just seems like a seems like a fraud and um you know baker kind of brought that brought that up a few commission meetings ago about what that decision was based on she kind of affirmed that it wasn't based on science it was based yeah. on polls essentially oh based on based on agenda validated by polls that were tuned to val to, to support their agenda ryan what you shared i think th this morning you know, on Instagram, I reshared it. What you said to them was exactly the storyline and the truth that resonated because it was said like 150 times over with the California Commission. That, and I think there was a, there was some education that actually happened with the California Commission on the on the bear hunting ban. They, you know, they've realized that there is a value set. Like it's not recreation. It's not folly. It's not frivolous. It's not, it's not just a, a whimsical thing. Let's go kill a bear. Like it's, it's people go out, they do it with intent. They handle the meat, they care for it. It's there's values, there's culture, heritage, all those things. And, and what you said to that commission, now they, they didn't hear it very well. I mean, they heard it, but I think that's what, we need to say publicly more and more and more. And I also think that that's what, that's the story that we need to bring. It kills me that like the, the bear hunt was banned. The spring bear hunt was banned because it was quote recreational. Like, like we're always in this mode of validating why it's okay to hunt. And my view is I'm a human being. Humans have been hunting since the beginning of time it is intrinsically wired into humans to pursue game. Maybe not all. So, you know, it, it is, it is right there with there's hunting and sex. <laughs> like, like, like we, eating we, and procreation. Yeah. 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 It's like food and procreation, um, pursuit of, of success and shelter and like just all the things that go into hunting 
are intrinsically natural to humans. And so we shouldn't have to, I, my view five, 10 years from now, a generation from now is that we don't, hunting is not something that has to constantly be validated. It's regulated and managed for the success of the wildlife on the landscape, but it's not constantly validated. Like we don't have to validate it because hunting is, is it's, it is an intrinsically human activity. And I think that's another thing that, you know, for the non-hunting public, there's been a lot of human rights issues where in the last 60 years and thank goodness for them. But the argument has been, I shouldn't have to validate myself or explain myself. I'm a human and this is a human thing. And this issue to me falls into that same bucket. And so, you know, I think that's, um, you know, how we do that, like you said, it's, I think it's stories, but it's also outward engagement. It's, it's engagement in the public sphere to share the value set, the human nature set, you know, just all those things with, with more of those people. Yeah, as it should, 100%. The public re-education campaign. <laughs> our public education campaign. Yeah, we didn't, I think it's it was... It's bigger than R3. You know, it's not, it's bigger than R3. It was before we started, actually, the podcast, I think. But Doug and Ryan both sort of said the same, a lot of the same uh, points in during their speeches, I think, mm-hmm. yesterday. And then, and then Ryan's today, Doug, what, what was, what was the summary of your, your speech yesterday? You started off with. Um, well, I started off, I, I told the story of the California uh, game commission with the bear ban. And I mm-hmm. said, Hey, look, the, the, the humane society was trying to get the bear ban in California. Um, they said it was uh, an unethical sport hunt that the meat was wasted and you know that bear populations were plummeting Due and to climate uh, change yeah. and wildfires yeah right exactly the same thing we've heard in washington all the things yeah and and then i brought up the point of well the commission asked a warden hey do people have to take bear meat and the commission or the warden got up and said yes if they don't they would be criminally charged with wanton waste and so that debunked the misinformation that was being peddled by the Humane Society. And then the commission asked the Humane Society representative, well, hey, what if bear populations were 35,000? Would you support a bear hunt then? No. 50, 60, 70, 80,000? And she finally said, no, the Humane Society's stance is that we would never support a bear hunt, regardless mm-hmm. of population. And so that's the point. The point is, yep. it doesn't. it's not about proper management. It's not about public safety. It's not about what's doing right for the resource. It's a political agenda to stop hunting, period. That's that's it. Science. Yep. yep. And that was my speech. Yep. I had to cut it. I had a three-minute speech, but I had to cut it down to two minutes because there were so many people. So many people made switch. And then Ryan, today, this morning, which I heard yours on Instagram, it was it was excellent. What what was what did you say? You know, my big thing has always been um that lie that hunting these these animals is somehow only a trophy hunt that that's not correct we're we're eating that food um so i made it a point to bring up the the colorado stuff as far as the actual campaign literature saying that one of the talking points is that cats aren't edible which if that was true i'd be dead because bobcat's awesome 
Um, Bose, you had something? Oh, you're no, just... I'd, I'd, I'd be dead too. So I just had Cougar like two days ago. So, dude, nice. Um, <laughs> but to to say that, but also to look at the ethics of lying about a group of people to take food away from them right. is morally indefensible. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to draw the parallel that if you validate them by accepting their petition, you validate their lies too. Mm -hmm. And that by doing so, you are absolutely acting like an anti-hunter because that was one th theme that I've heard repeated over and over again in commission meetings is people who are coming from that side of the aisle basically saying, ah, I have solidarity with responsible hunters or hunting for meat. And it's that whole, well, okay, I eat this. Right. Does that change your opinion? And, and you should always look at the, the looks on their faces when you say you're, you're eating this animal. Um, because there's always this, this look of distrust. Well, um, there's a lot of parts of the world that don't, um, that don't eat cow. And for them to come here and basically be like, you can't have that burger right. would be viewed as weird and installing some sort of cultural ethics on a people who live very differently. How am I any different? That's the question I'm asking the commission. Yep. No, it's a it's a human issue. It's an anti it's an anti human issue. These are people that are willing to leverage their agenda against the rights of others it's not a it's not because the animals are scarce or endangered in any way it's it's purely a willingness to sit on their pedestal and levy a rule against people doing a a human activity that has been natural and part of the landscape since the beginning of time and i think that's where like, you know, some of the things that we, we trickled into the conversation, and they're absolutely true. How do you have diversity and in inclusivity when you remove opportunities from the landscape? How do you have opportunities to be out there doing this activity when you remove the opportunities? How do you get, how do you, like, you can't have both. You can't be diverse and inclusive and then remove activities that are, at, at the scientific level sustainable just because somebody has an agenda against it or because you're the minority because the yeah because the activity is being performed by a minority group like right. a minor, the, a subset of the population that you just disagree with yep because like, they'll say oh the the majority of the people don't don't want you to cougar hunt well right uh, yeah, that's that's not the point you know exactly even yeah. more reason to protect it right <laughs> yeah so well it this is um so this thing has been accepted it's going to go into rulemaking um it seems like this is another going to be another hot button issue that's important especially if it means there could be a a, a full-blown attack on the on the general bear season in washington and 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 mountain lion um They've got both of them in play now. And so this is something that, you know, the, the Colorado issue is going to be a nationwide issue. And this is this is something that can get rolled into it, too. 
Um, this is where I think we as hunters, and then you pull in anglers and you pull in bird watchers that have, you know, a mindset of, of, of true conservation. And this is something that, you know, I think this is where Howell and the whole community to get together and, and leverage as much hunter advocacy as is possible and also start, start more outreach to the general public. Correct. And, and by the way, at the beginning of the petition uh, presentation yesterday, Anise uh, had showed that there was 1,200, I believe, um, emails against the petition, hmm. um, mainly through hmm. one source is what they said. They didn't necessarily say how, but I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts that that was through how. Probably. Um, and 804. So how once again outshined. So if you're listening to this and you haven't used how yet, you need to definitely use that as often as possible. Go to howforwildlife.org and use that action center because that helps. Maybe I wanted this to make case, sure mine got read, so I sent it through the Humane Society. <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm evil. Assuming they didn't delete it. It's <laughs> <laughs> scrape, scrape. They've got a bot that scrapes their emails before it goes out. I think but I, I agree that with too. you. Hal is a great tool for that. I think, I think I had my name as Marge or something on there once, and I, I did the same Marge. thing. Fun. Yep. You love the Simpsons. <laughs> I do. Over the last few years, I love that. <laughs> um, well, I never even introduced formally who is who is on here. We have um, – go ahead. You guys do introductions. Doug, go ahead. My name is Douglas Bose. I am the president of the Washington chapter of the American Bear Foundation. Uh, just an average hunter trying to make a difference. <laughs> average hunter. And uh, my name is Ryan Garrett. I am, you know, just some guy who lives in northeast Washington and got involved in this mess uh, back when spring bear was initially ended and I've been stuck in it ever since trying to get people to understand what's going on. Yeah. Is that awesome um, podcast that you do with your, yeah, wife? I'm the host of the hunter farmer part, uh, artisan podcast. I've tried to look at the issue from some different angles and bring in perspectives of people that you don't often hear from and i've tried to keep the podcast pretty short to make it really digestible for people who are getting into it so if you're trying to get familiar quickly that's a good place to go i like that are you is your audience you know do you do you get folks that are into the the farmer artisan side as much as the hunting side it's mostly you... been uh hunting specific the okay. the hunter farmer artisan thing kind of refers to me and like my core values of of what makes me who i am like i love i love the hunting aspect i love um living a close to the land aspect where i'm managing a property and i i manage that for conservation reasons and for yield yeah. in my crops and then artisan is just because i enjoy building things and i hope one day that I can transition away from talking about this commission stuff all the time because yeah. it's such an existential threat that I can maybe start talking about that sort of stuff with people instead. But that's the problem is that these commission issues that are our threats to who we are really do suck the air out of everything else that um, we could be doing 
in Washington state for conservation. Yeah, you've got, I mean, Washington everywhere now, but Washington, I would think, has such an audience for, you know, regenerative ag topics, and that's one of the things sustainable ag topics, food, foraging. Um, you're 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 right there in the midst or just adjacent to those folks. It, if if that could be the bait to get them to come in and hear, um, it would be it'd be such an opening. It'd be such an opening for, of dialogue with people that maybe didn't know that they were pro hunting. Just because yeah, I haven't just just because I haven't thought about it. And that's one of the things that I need to bridge into is I need to start talking cool. about that stuff too. Like you said, it's it's good bait. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's great. Uh, Mike Costello, I'm in California. I'm a adult onset hunter, <laughs> although I've been hunting now for seven years, so I can't really say I'm, I'm completely new to it. Um, I'm, I'm have a podcast called hunting ain't easy, uh, because in California hunting ain't easy. Um, and also because I'm in California, we touch on a lot of advocacy issues and I've really kind of taken to the idea of activating hunters to be better citizen advocates for themselves and for us as a community. Um, and that's going to start to parlay into how do we better involve the non-hunting public as well to, to not be um, so easily swayed by lies and pictures and manipulation by the anti-hunting industry. Is there anything else we didn't cover? I know we didn't cover the draft conservation policy. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, we're going to, howlcasts are going to start happening uh, more frequently um, coming up in the new year. Uh, if Charles is willing to let me take the helm, <laughs> give me the keys to the kingdom. You're muted, Charles, I think, or we can't hear you. But anyways, uh, yeah, howlcasts are going to be coming up more frequently. Um getting obviously we've got national issues we've got state level issues we've got state coalitions that are forming that are really awesome and so the howcast is going to be a little more active in 2024 to really really dig into and share all of these issues at the at the you know local state national level across all boundaries so that uh, the entire hunting and angling community in the u.s can be involved and educated so we'll come back to the the conservation draft conservation plan uh soon excellent that's a good plan for sure um perfect thank you gentlemen yeah thanks uh, guys happy saturday yeah, yeah thank you thank you all right right on thanks for listening in and a big shout out to doug bows bows and the bears on instagram and ryan garrett Hunter Farmer Artisan on Instagram. Follow these guys. You're going to have front row seats to the issues Washington State is dealing with right now. Doug is always going to have some great black bear content. And Ryan brings a refreshing view to hunting, self-sufficiency, and land stewardship. The threats to hunting in Washington are real, and they're connected to the same anti-hunting industry players who are at work in California, Arizona, Colorado, Oregon, and beyond. 2024 will bring some battles, but if we go into the arena together, we can and will win. We will protect hunting, and we will maintain the proven and successful systems of conservation that wildlife benefits from. Please become a member and advocate at howforwildlife.org.